Welcome to The Back Porch, a safe space where we can wrestle with our faith and beliefs and real life. I feel like I usually have more questions than answers, and I think that's okay. I'm going to keep on asking my questions, and I'm trying to learn to rest in the hope that truth will eventually catch me. I'm Melinda, and this is my view of life and faith from The Back Porch. So I'm hanging out on the porch again, and I've been doing some serious research on this topic of anger. Some of you are like, okay, enough of the anger already. (laughs) And that's okay. If it's not your gig right now, or you like have figured it all out, then maybe come back and visit in a few more weeks, because I have a feeling this one's going to take a few of these porch moments (laughs) to figure out. Um, and by the way, maybe you should be doing a podcast because I would love to know how you've worked that through. But for me right now, I just decided if my goal is to, um, experience and address and express my anger in the most godly way, in the right way then I should probably spend some time looking at God's word and see what he has to say about it. And he has a lot to say about anger. I don't, I mean, I guess I kind of knew that, but, um, just do a word search and you'll be amazed at how much is in the Bible about this. Okay. So here's what I've been thinking. I don't think there's just one kind of anger. So I like went back to my roots of social work and in grad school, I did a concentration on grief and obviously um, we talk a lot about anger in grief, but one of the things we talked about is that anger is often the physical expression of a variety of emotions underneath. So. Like you can be feeling sad. Um, Maybe you have experienced a deep loss or you're grieving something and that comes out. It's expressed um, as anger. Like that's how it's coming out and that's how other people are receiving it is like you're angry. But really the feeling is sadness. Um, Another thing that can be happening is that you are actually mad. (laughs) Um, that something has made you mad and it's coming out as anger. So, I mean, those seem to match, but another possibility is that maybe you're just feeling interrupted or annoyed or, or blocked, you know, like you're trying to do something and you keep slamming your head against a wall. Like that can create frustration So you're feeling frustrated or interrupted or blocked and it's coming out as anger. So I was thinking, okay, well, there probably is, since there's more than one source of anger, that maybe there's not just one way to process it. So that was kind of what my 
study was about because I was like, okay, well, let's see if there's different kinds of anger in the Bible. And um, so we're going to start with one that I think I don't, it's good. I'm going to say it. It feels easier, even though the actual application of it is not easier. I think it's easier to like understand and agree to because it's probably what we've been told most of our lives, even if we didn't grow up using the Bible as our guide. So we're going to start with what happens when we feel frustrated or annoyed or interrupted. And as I'm looking through the Bible, I'm realizing there's really not, um, I couldn't find a single spot where God says, yeah, it's okay. Just, you know, like lash out. (laughs) It's just not there, you guys. I'm sorry. So actually what it says is that we have to have control of that. So this piece of me where I have focused on having control, not letting anger get the best of me. In this situation, it's probably the best thing, the right thing to do. Let me just give you a few examples. Um, So in Colossians, it talks, chapter three, it talks about how we need to make allowance for each other's faults and be ready to forgive. Like basically expect that people are going to frustrate you and annoy you and you need to be willing to forgive. Or Ephesians chapter four says, be kind and tender hearted, be ready to forgive each other. Um, and what's interesting is I don't even think it doesn't even, we can assume that there will be times when people frustrate us, that they actually are doing something that we have to forgive them for. But there may be times when it's not even about that. It's, it's not about forgiveness at all. It's just about self-control in James It talks about how if my religion is of any value, then I will have control over my tongue. That my religion is completely worthless if that part of my body is is not in control, which we all know is really hard to do. Okay, so here's Proverbs 19.11 says, sensible people will control their temper. Psalm 37.8 says, stop being angry, turn from your rage, don't lose your temper because it only leads to harm. Proverbs 14.29 People with understanding control their anger. Hot tempers show our foolishness. Proverbs 29, 11. Fools will vent their anger, but the wise will quietly hold it back. Short-tempered people do foolish things. That's Proverbs 14, 17. So I think, like, as I look through that, this, here's a perfect example from this morning. <laughs> if I am going to just confess openly, I get up early because that is the only time of the day when no one else is in my business. So I get up and I work out um, right now because it's been dark in the mornings. And so I have to do it inside instead of walking outside. And that's my thing. I get up, I work out, and by the time I'm done working out, Yuli's usually stirring and ready and off to school, and that's just a quick exchange. Paul is starting to get up, and he comes out, and then by then, I've already finished the workout, and I'm ready to sit on the couch and spend a few minutes reading God's Word, and he's doing the same, so it's it's kind of like we're just both doing our thing, and then usually I can even sneak in a super fast shower before it's time to get Monroe up and get ready for school. 
Well, every once in a while, you know, your plan doesn't just, it just doesn't go like that. And this morning, I wasn't even finished with my workout yet. And that cute little blonde head of Monroe's popped out of his door. And hi, Gigi, is the first thing I hear. And it's sweet when I think of it now. But in that moment, I was so frustrated. Because it's like, I only get this little bit of time in the morning and you are taking it from me. Now, Monroe wasn't doing anything wrong. He wasn't sinning. I didn't need to forgive him. I literally just had to have some self-control. Like that was all on me. And it took me a few minutes, but I, I found it. And I think that's when we know that these verses that speak about hold it back, stay silent, um, take a deep breath before you speak, like make sure your words are kind, don't lash out. These are all of the commands that we should listen to when we're talking about this kind of anger because no good comes from me like letting that out. There's just no point. So the self-control, the, the control of that emotion in the moment is right. That's the best way to handle that. Now we don't always do it that way. And then we're the ones that need to be forgiven. Those verses work both ways, right? Like I have to be ready to forgive and I'm asking others around me to expect that I'm going to mess up and I need them to be ready to forgive me. And I need to ask for that. I think the the emotion of feeling hurt or betrayed, that puts us in a defensive posture. I think it's instinctual that we armor up and that can feel aggressive for some of us when we're, when we're doing that protective stance. And that is not as quick, I think, to process. I think when someone has harmed us, sinned against us, offended us, we, we can't, we might need to hold our tongue for a little bit until we can resolve it. For me, those moments of how to process the anger are a little bit harder because I tend to gloss over it on the outside and then find myself feeling very bitter and resentful inside. And I, I think that that's the result. I, some of the verses that I were, was reading, um, in Ephesians, it talks about, don't let sin control you. Um, that this not sin anger. Did I say sin? Don't sin by letting anger control you. Um, that you need to, uh, it comes from a verse in Psalms, I guess. Psalms 4-4 says, 
think about it overnight and remain silent. Interestingly, though, that verse is the source of this for Ephesians 4.21, where it says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. I, I, I think that both can be true. We don't want sin to control us by putting it to bed, just so to speak, right? Like just tuck it under those covers and pretend like it's not there and sleep and the next day you're hoping it'll just be fine. When really the verse from Psalms is saying, think about it and remain silent. But the follow-up to that is don't, don't let that fester because this next verse that is how we give a foothold to Satan. Anger, unresolved, gives a foothold to Satan. That's Ephesians 4.21. So there might be times where we need to stay silent and process, but then we have to speak. And I, I still think our words have to be kind, but sometimes honest, for me, I have to realize that honesty can still hurt even if I'm saying it kindly. That part maybe isn't for me to own because if there is something that I need to share with someone that I care about that has offended me or hurt me, I have to do that in order to resolve At the same time, I can do it in a way where truth is spoken and there's room for love and kindness and an opportunity for healing, reconciliation, forgiveness, whatever can happen. Now, I know that there are times when we've been offended in really awful ways and we may need to speak that truth and then set boundaries because not everyone is going to be able to recognize that and want to heal that. And so then there's still loss involved in that processing and healing. But the goal is to take off that defensive stance and not keep it in place. Does that make sense? I, for me, I feel like sometimes when we get hurt or we feel offended, we get into that defensive posture, which at times we have to go into just until we can figure out what is going on and how we're feeling and how we're going to process it. And then sometimes we think we've processed it and I I feel like I've kind of tried to work through it but I still find myself in a defensive posture like I never took the shield back down and the goal is that if we forgive and if we release and if we trust that we can let that go that a true forgiveness posture drops the shield even if we still have boundaries we can have boundaries and not be in a defensive stance 
I think this took me like a really long time to learn that I can have a boundary with someone and still be open to a certain extent and kind. The boundary has more to do with what I will allow in versus what I'm willing to give out. And maybe for you, it's like the opposite. I don't know that this is true for everyone. I just, I feel like for me, sometimes when I have had to put boundaries up, I feel like that means I have to be closed off. And I I don't think that that is the end game. I think the end game, if we're in a posture of forgiveness, it's not about forgetting and dropping that shield and being like, yeah, go ahead, shoot me again. It's not that. It's it's a posture of I, I'm not, I don't feel the need to see you in a bad light, in such a bad light that I, I can't wish you well or I can't assume that you can change or do better. And so I, I can relax a little bit. and not be on my guard expecting the worst from you again. That takes a really long time. But I think that's what what God calls us to. Forgiveness is not always just a easy one-step process. I think it's for some situations it can be like a daily decision that allows us to relax our shoulders and take a deep breath and see those around us the way God sees them. I think that had to have been the way that Jesus interacted with his disciples after they abandoned him in the garden. And I get it. Like, he's in his completely divine body now. So maybe it's even more the way he was leading up to the cross. I mean, think about the way he interacted and treated Judas even though he knew like I don't know how long he knew that Judas was going to betray him like the the most the worst betrayal right like he was in the inner circle of friends he knew Jesus's strengths and weaknesses and he used that against Jesus and Jesus still could sit at a table with him and eat and share and journey with him. Like, I think that's our goal in forgiveness. Maybe that's even proactive forgiveness. You know, the verse that I just said in Colossians where it says, assume, make space 
for others' faults. Like assume people are going to fail you. How do we live in a way where we assume people will fail us and we are ready to process that? Like honestly, I'm not saying pretend like it's no big deal. There's going to be huge deals in friendships and relationships and family and uh, whatever. But like proactively be ready to do the hard work of forgiving and not be kind of like with the gophers, like not be surprised. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. Well, of course it happened. Why wouldn't it happen? We expected more of that person, sure. But can't we also expect that there's going to be times when none of us live up to the expectation? I mean, that's what God does for us, right? Like he expects the best, but he's ready for our worst. I mean, that's a really hard call for me to live up to. But if I'm trying to do this work, then I guess I need to step up to the plate. (laughs) It's enough for today. I still have some other sources I'm still processing through and we'll talk about them soon. Thanks for listening and hanging with me on the porch.